0: How did we get here to where we need people like you?
1: Oh, our obesogenic environment. It is so easy and convenient to eat unhealthy.
2: If healthcare is broken, who's working to fix it? I'm Dr. Charles O'Malley. And I'm Dr. Justin Geisinger. This is More Than Medicine. This week is probably one of the more important topics that we discuss in our series of podcasts. Uh, Charlie, you and I both have a, a tremendous interest in watching all food and health-related documentaries. Oh and, yeah, lots uh, of them
0: on my list. Yeah,
2: but this week, you know, we're going to try and get some more concrete facts, and we're going to be speaking with Shauna Mugavero, who is a registered dietitian with Lancaster General Hospital. She graduated from the University of Delaware with a degree in dietetics. And she now works with uh, adults looking to manage their weight uh, as part of the bariatric program over at Lancaster General Health.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just to throw some numbers out there, just to show you how serious this problem is, uh, right now one in every three people are obese and the average American is 23 pounds overweight. You know, this kind of, you know, is really getting out of control. Um, you know, people who are obese, they spend almost $1,500 per year in medical costs more uh, than a healthy individual. Again, that's just a ton of money being thrown at healthcare. care. Um, so overall, you know, medical expenses related to obesity are costing our country about $147 billion, billion with a B, uh, each year or about 10% of all health care costs. Um, You know, and that number's from 2016, so it's probably up in 2017 and 2018.
2: Wow, yeah, when you hear numbers like that, then you realize, okay, we do need to make a change, not just a New Year's resolution. Yep. So, without further ado, here is our conversation with Shauna to educate us more about this very important topic.
0: All right, Shauna, thank you so much for uh, joining us here this morning. Uh, I know you're missing your morning workout for us, so thank you very much.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having me.
0: Um, So first off, let's just kind of talk about, you know, what you do. So can you explain the process of, you know, how patients get to you as a registered dietitian and, you know, kind of what that all looks like?
1: Yes, I work with healthy weight management with Lancaster General Health and Penn Medicine. uh, And... For patients to see me, they can't just call up and say, hey, I want to see a dietitian. They need a referral from a doctor. So they need to be referred to our practice. Um, We have our bariatric center deals with bariatric surgery patients, but also patients that are just interested in healthy weight management. So they get a referral from their doctor, and then they see either the surgeon or the doctor, and at that point, then they will see the dietitians after that. Okay. So I... Talk with them regarding their goals and from there follow them.
0: Okay. And so, does this have to be someone who has a pre existing medical issue that's related to their weight or can it just be someone who, you know, maybe wants to lose 10 or 15 pounds?
1: In order for it to be covered by insurance, they must have the diagnosis of obesity or morbid obesity. Okay. And depending, um, sometimes even with a comorbid condition.
0: Okay. Um, And you're a registered dietitian. Can you explain what your education looks like as a registered dietitian versus, you know, some of the other terms that are thrown out there of like, you know, nutrition expert or health coach or, um, you know, those kinds of things?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, different terms that I don't even know (laughs) all of them. And you can get um, certifications that... Um, might be quicker than others, but I do know for a registered dietitian you do need to do extra schooling. You do uh, an internship, so it's a year after your graduate school, Um, and there's certain ones throughout the country that you apply for. And when you do that internship, it's a lot of hands-on training in different aspects of clinical, um, community, and sports, or um, food service, or any types of um, just nutrition avenues. Uh, and then you have to take a board's exam after that. And that's how you get credentialed to be a dietitian. So there is extra schooling, there's okay. boards. Um, and then you also need to keep up that, um, the credentials by doing a certain amount of continuing ed- education every two to five years.
0: Okay. For okay. State so not, not too dissimilar from, you know, PT or, exactly. or anything yep. like that. Okay. Yep. Excellent. Um, so. You know, on, on average, what would you say your uh, kind of caseload looks like? Like how many people are you working with either on a given day or, or over the course of a week?
1: So I'm actually the bariatric coordinator for um, our office as well. So my position looks a little bit different than some, but on a busy day, I'll have anywhere from 10 to 14 patients. Um, and that's probably three to four days a week. And then I have a little bit more admin time than some others, but okay. um, I'll see anywhere from... 40 to 60 patients depending on the week.
2: Okay. And how long would you say these patients are typically on your caseload? Is this somebody that's coming in like once a week and once a month? Um,
1: So it depends on the program. If they are a surgical patient and their goal is to have bariatric surgery, I see them monthly for three to six months. And that depends on their insurance. If their insurance requires a six month monitored diet, we see them monthly. So we do get to really establish more of a relationship with them. Um, and then after surgery, we also follow them closely. We want to follow up for life with them because it's not easy. Um, we do feel that they, you know, support is very, very important. So we're there when they need us. Um, we also have a follow up schedule post operatively as well. Um, if they're non surgical, we see them every three weeks to start. Um, also seeing the, the bariatrician or nurse practitioner, um, and then we spread it out to monthly, as long as they feel they need us, kind of. After six months, we, they reevaluate with the doctor and say, hey, do you still like the check-ins? Do you want to keep coming every month or every other month? Uh, or do you feel like you have the knowledge you need, check-in in three months, kind of thing. Um, we wish we could see everybody every other week and give that accountability and, sure. and that, but, you know, our caseload just can't hold it.
2: And what determines if they are uh, surgical or non-surgical Uh, the patient. Okay. Or their, do they usually come in with uh, a goal or like, or already a mindset like, look, I I need the surgery.
1: Yes. Uh, A lot of them do. Um, some of them change their mind and we fully support that. We Mm -hmm. believe that surgery should be a last resort and we highly encourage people, uh, to consider, especially if they're doing really well, Hey, look, you don't necessarily need surgery. Um, and also if we see, uh, New patient who has not had diet attempts in the past or hasn't tried anything. We're like, well, let's just talk about maybe just doing healthy weight management, and that's the beauty of having both avenues so that people can switch, uh, if need be.
0: Hmm. And so, what you know, what does the uh, kind of process look like to evaluate someone who walks in your door, and and kind of what's your starting point as far as you know making that that first change or um, you know, kind of putting them on the path towards this healthy weight management.
1: That is patient to patient. And I think you guys probably see that in your own jobs. Um, you know, the first 20 minutes of a session is just learning that person, learning, establishing rapport and learning, Hey, what have they tried? Where have they been? So many times people don't necessarily need the actual education. You know, you have 50% that need education. The other 50%, they know exactly what to do. And it's just getting them to a point of, okay, what seems realistic to start with and where, where do you feel you want to start? Um, and then kind of guiding them and hearing them. Hearing, oh, I've tried this, I've tried that, this is hard, I can't, you know, and hearing these can'ts and negativity, um, and then taking that and saying, well, what does seem realistic for you, and let's talk small to start.
2: Okay. Are a lot of these patients repeat patients? Like, they've been here a year ago, or they were here six years ago, and they just need to come back for...
1: Yeah, the non-surgical patients, um, they will occasionally come back and say, look, you know, last time I was here, I lost 70 pounds, but I gained 30 back and I don't want to gain anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're great. I'm glad you came in. Mm -hmm. Some people look at that as I'm ashamed. I don't want to go back. And we look at it as no, I'm so glad you had a stressful event. I'm glad you're back. Let's get back on track and Um, I think we all need those accountability points of let's just kind of restart, go back to the basics of what you were doing. It obviously worked; Mm -hmm. you felt great, um, and and go from there.
0: Okay. Um, Now, you know, obviously we know the obesity rates. It's just about forty percent now, depending on you know what study you look at. So, can you kind of talk about how did we get here? How how did you know? Because you're. Position as you know, a, you know, working in an obesity clinic like that wasn't something that existed before. So, how did we get here to where we need people like you?
1: Oh, our obesogenic environment. Ooh, um, I like
0: that word. Yes. Yeah, that's a nice term.
1: It is so easy and convenient to eat unhealthy. It's affordable, um, and it's everywhere. And so people go down that road and. Then they do that for their kids, and then their kids do that for their kids. And I just think, um, you know, that people are paid to make those foods look more appealing, more tasty. Um, And then it's just hard because it looks like healthy eating is expensive. I um, put out this to any patient. Um, Nobody's taking me up on it, but I'll say, hey, if you ever want to bring your grocery store receipt, or your fast food receipts like bring them all to me let's sit down and talk about how we can take this money and put it towards healthy foods and still be affordable nobody's ever done it oh really (laughs) nobody but I I think because that can be like oh that healthy food's too expensive and I think that is such a um, barrier for some people they think oh this is going to be way too expensive and it it, it can be if you don't put time or planning into it and that's kind of overwhelming for people but yeah just the ease ability and that obesogenic um mentality that our society provides like here stop here and grab something and this is quick and easy and i think
2: so it sounds like the, uh, a lot. change is universally hard it doesn't matter if it's changing purchasing habits or yeah. we may talk about just starting a walking program mm-hmm. or uh, you know ultimately hardly quitting smoking but it's, the, the point is you have to take a step to change right. and it sounds like that's really one of your main battles is encouraging to change
1: Yes, and I tell them, you know, we have an initial class that all our surgical patients come to, and I say from the start, this is not a diet. I do not Mm. want you to be overwhelmed. Um, Some people can do all or nothing and kind of jump into things and change everything at once. Is it realistic they'll maintain all those changes? I don't know. Some people are really good at that, but I think the majority of the population, it's, okay, I tell them, pick one or two goals to start, and by the time you see me, I want to know what those two things are and how it's going. Just realistic things that you can start with. It could be, okay, I'm not going to drink soda. Not even touching food, but you're not going to drink soda. Um, Or I'm going to only eat takeout two times a week. To me, that seems like a lot for my lifestyle because I was fortunate that I was not raised to be doing a lot of takeout. But most people, or not most people, but a lot of people that come to us, they're doing that on a regular basis because their lifestyle is busy and they think this is the only way I can do it.
2: That brings up a great question there. <clears throat> what is, like, the average person that comes to you? Like, what is their demographic? Are they um, middle age, full-time worker? Like, what kinds of things do you see commonly?
1: We see... So we... For the surgical population, if they're going to have surgery, our age range is 18 to 65. Um, but non-surgically, we will see people, uh, more senior citizens that are... And that's where, where it's tough. Like, they've suddenly started putting on weight as they get older and they have more physical ailments that prevent activity and, and they might just be slightly overweight, obese, and they're like, what do I do to get this off? My metabolism's not what it used to be. So that's where, if they have the knowledge base, it's just tweaking things here and there. But I would say the majority of our population is middle-aged, um, 30s, 40s, 50s, um, and more female than male. But, yeah, they, I would say, you know, over 50% are working. Um, a lot of them have busy lifestyles. They might have a full-time job, be parents, um, going to school even. And that, those are the ones that just think, okay, this is too much. I don't even know where to start.
2: Do you guys have offer then, like, uh, support groups that, uh, I mean, I know HIPAA violations, you can't share information, but do you guys do anything to kind of create uh, an environment where, hey, here we have this group meeting, mm-hmm. and
1: we patients have a monthly, can even work
2: with each other.
1: Yes, we have a monthly support group um, for the surgical patients that um, over 100 people every month where we you know some pre-surgery some post-surgery some people that decide oh I do want to have surgery or maybe I don't want to have surgery Um, and it's just to us that that is so important where they can get to know other patients but also hear the struggles that they're going through and and we have a guest speaker most months um, Mm -hmm. and also a patient giving their testimony but the majority of it is get together talk.
0: And then kind of piggybacking off of that What about family support? Because I imagine that's hugely important to make sure the rest of their family is on board. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, kind of get get the family uh, involved or do you leave it up to the patient?
1: Uh, We leave that up to the patient. We encourage them, bring your family to support group, bring them to your nutrition visits so they can ask us questions too if they have questions. Um, The sad part is not everybody has a supportive family. And that's where we encourage them, hey, get support elsewhere at least you know that's a whole nother battle if people in the home are not being supportive are there compromises are there things that okay they can at least keep them away from you not in front of you um, because the temptations it's hard to just say oh I'm going to have willpower I'm not going to eat those things I'm not going to be doing that as much anymore Um, but yes we encourage highly encourage find support Because without the support, we can't be the only support, but without that, without other friends or people checking in with you or people that you can talk to about your struggles, it's, you know, so much of it is the psychological part of, I know what to do, but I'm not doing it. And the stress management and the emotional eating, we see a lot of that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you have access to psychological support as part of your team?
1: Yes. We have a very whole the whole team i i love it because we um have a clinical psychologist that we can refer patients to all of our surgical patients need to see the psychologist every single one of them Um, some of them then need to go to outpatient therapy for a certain amount of time just to to work with some of the things that they're battling and um get that at a better place before pursuing surgery um we also have exercise physiologists. We have a full gym in our facility. So we Excellent. really, really encourage. I don't care if you're in a wheelchair. I don't care if your knees hurt, your back hurts. We, You can figure out something to do. Okay. And so many people say, oh, but they haven't worked with anybody like me. And they have. <laughs> They've worked <laughs> with them all, and we, we figure out something for them to do. Um, And it's it's not a gym to come to on a regular basis, but it's just a practice gym, like get comfortable here and then we'll send you out to your own gym or here's how to do things. Some people are either embarrassed to go to a gym or or have never stepped foot in one. So just learning what to do, how to do things and getting confident with physical activity.
0: (laughs) What are, you know, some of the resources that you guys utilize, whether it's you know, either local resources or online resources, um, just to kind of help initiate that that process of change? Is there anything you would recommend?
1: Well, for instance, I mean, it depends. Like our exercise physiologists, they refer to any gym that seems feasible for them or it doesn't have to be a gym. Um, we, as dietitians, as far as resources go, um, you know, we just encourage them, hey, have you ever been to market? Let's let's go take a look at what that looks like with your budget and and that types of type of thing. Um, when it comes to therapy, I think that's outpatient therapy. That's one thing that we need more of sometimes, <laughs> and we feel like oh, there's not enough available um, therapists and counselors. But we definitely look at um, referring to cognitive-based therapy or outpatient therapy okay. to try to uh, manage some of the stressful things that they're going through or behavioral change and some of that, too.
2: Okay. What about some of the other uh, more um, just socially popular uh, resources that you see right now? I'm thinking, like, TED Talks, Netflix documentaries. Oh, yeah. like, are there any that you're a fan of? Because <laughs> I, I know my wife and I, sometimes it's like a train wreck. We just love to see those. <laughs> and... Uh, so I'm just curious. Is there any sources out there? You're like, oh yeah, that's good, and other, I would s- absolutely stay away from these other ones. Um.
1: Well, a lot of times people will come into my office and say, "Well, Dr. Oz said." Mm. Some even um. say, "Dr. Oz told me."
2: You like, okay?
1: Well, I'm not saying that it's. Not true. I'm not saying that it is true, but I just say, well, let's think about this yeah. and and how that looks in your lifestyle. I think there's so much. But it begins a discussion. Then. Yes, sure. it begins a discussion, um, and it you know so many people come in with these thoughts of fad diets and things that they saw on documentaries. Well, I think I'm going to cut out all of this or all of that mm-hmm. or I'm only going to eat these foods, and I say, okay, you know, let's talk about that. And in the past two or three months. What were our goals and have you been able to even meet those? Mm-hmm. And if you are struggling with even meeting those, this is way more drastic. Do you think that's realistic? Um, Long term, Not just we're not just looking short term. This is for the rest of your life. And that's something that I will constantly challenge people. Do you see yourself doing this for the rest of your life?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And some of them say no. Say, so, well, let's talk about the change then and, and okay. adapting it so that it is realistic and, and what that looks like. So I can't pinpoint anything that I would say, absolutely go watch or do not watch yeah. um, because I think you can take bits and pieces of each one and, and adapt it to your lifestyle. And like I said, everybody, it's an individual basis sometimes.
2: So you're also not on the, everybody must go keto. Everybody should go Everybody should go out. keto. Right. No. It's cured <laughs> I couldn't do night. it. <laughs> no <clears throat> I once had a, a friend in uh, the fitness industry who had a good saying of don't drink your calories I was like oh wow that's a really good place to start you mm-hmm. know like how many calories are there in sugary beverages or even mm-hmm. if you're coffee if you add a lot of sugar and cream to that um, are there any other little sayings that you tend to to live by with your patients like hey how about start with Cook more. Okay. Cook at okay. home. Eat, eat at home more. Okay. I like it.
1: Um, eat vegetables. Oh, there's countless people that see us on a regular basis. I don't like vegetables. Mm. You know, I don't like them. Well, when's the last time you had them? How were they prepared? So just spending, or maybe they were never introduced to vegetables and they don't even know how to prepare them. So kind of talking through, okay, well, let's start small. Are you willing to at least try something what seems the least scary? Um, I previously had a cooking class and I hope to start that up again and it was monthly and it wasn't gourmet it mm-hmm. was how do you roast vegetables how do you saute vegetables how do you make them taste good so that people Which, are willing to try
2: interject real roasting vegetables does do something magic
1: too. oh yeah oh, yes it does oh totally like, so many people and I loved it it was like yes you know, very few people would try the roasted veggies or the uh-huh. way I would prepare them to make them taste better and say, I still don't like them. And they'd come back so excited because they say, even my kids like them. You I made it for my kids and they ate it and yeah. my husband ate it. And, you know, they get so excited that they have this whole new world of exploration with vegetables because what they knew of them was boiled I, in the yeah. microwave. <laughs>
2: it's like there was a <laughs> and generation that's not bad. ruined. Yeah, with, I know. With the microwave. Soggy. Yes. Gross looking, right? Mushy corn. broccoli, yeah. and, and if you're okay
1: with mushy broccoli and Steve, that's fine, that's great. But some people just have that I don't like it. Okay, yeah. well, let's fancy it up.
2: Okay, and and Does so, that change yeah. again. Yes, yeah. it's hard to do. Um,
0: yeah, because I know you know a lot of times, you know, if patients want to talk to me, and I'm certainly not a nutrition expert, you know, we get little tidbits of information in PT school on nutrition, and sure, I had some nutrition classes in undergrad, but. Um, you know one of the places I'll start is I'll say you know eat real food yes you know eat real food and then they look at me and they're like okay how mm-hmm. you know so I love that you mentioned you had cooking classes um, is that a you know a regular part of the process is teaching people how to cook who don't know how to cook because You know, obviously I can't bill for that in PT. You know, I can't say, oh, well, let's have a cooking class today, but you know, what what are some things that people can do to learn how to do that aside from, you know, the classes that you used to offer? Well,
1: with the internet and what is on the internet, speaking of resources, there's so many posts on Facebook and unfortunately it's all the, make this dessert in five minutes and here's how you do it. But YouTube videos on just look up how to cook asparagus, how to cook broccoli. Um, the quick, easy meals and videos of how to do it. I think people forget that with the click of their finger, looking on your phone, you can easily see a recipe being made in front of you. So it's not just reading through it. I don't know how to make things. I don't know how to cook. Um, I think just googling videos of how to roast vegetables. Okay. You know, and that that can be a very simple way to just do it right there in your home. Watch it and learn from that
2: great that's easy enough Uh, to piggyback on that surely when you said about the process with all this it it made me think of the 76ers you know the famous for their process process. but part of that was them putting a lot of money into Mm -hmm. their training facility which includes uh basically a gourmet kitchen with a trained chef who is preparing meals for the team but not only that he's educating the players on the team so you know it doesn't matter if we're talking a bariatric population or even these professional athletes you know there's such an importance to that Mm. Uh, not only the change but also the education component there of how to cook right it's really important
1: and every month at our support group we always have a sample menu we explain how our menu um, sample food bariatric friendly healthy foods um, and give a sample of it but explain how we made it and how quick and easy it was. Um, I am a big you know, I, I don't spend hours cooking. I wish I could, but Mm -hmm. with my lifestyle now I can't. Um, so I encourage people to, Hey, you can make dinner in 15 minutes and it can be healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a matter of planning. I think that's another rule of thumb. You have to plan, you have to plan ahead, whether you're traveling, whether you are on the road a lot, um, whether you're just making dinner at home and have a busy evening schedule with kids, you still need to plan a lot.
2: Um,
0: you know, as as a medical professional, you know, obviously we recognize, okay, look, being overweight is not a good thing for various reasons. Obesity, um, you know, has a lot of detrimental health effects, you know, diabetes, blood pressure issues, you know, all sorts of stuff. How do you recommend kind of starting that conversation with people of, hey, you know, we need to do something about your weight because of all these other factors without, you know being offensive or or turning the person off or making them be like, oh, well, you know, my PT just says I'm fat and that's why my knees hurt or Mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, how how do you go about starting that process? Do you have any recommendations there? Yeah,
1: sensitivity is very important. And I think getting a feel for... It, what stage of change they're at if they're not even willing to even start there um, they've heard it before they know it and they're not ready and I think you need to respect that and maybe there's a lot of other things going on in their life and it's just not something that seems they're not ready for um, but if you hear some of those signals as far as oh my goodness I, I'm just so uncomfortable I, I don't feel good um, I think that's where you just challenge them and say, Well, what do you want to do to feel better? What do you think would make you feel better? And if they say, Well, I need to lose some weight or I, I, you know, my knees hurt, I just need to be more active, just challenge them. Give them one challenge and say, Well, what's one thing you want to start with? And let's next time talk about, Did you do it? And ask them about it. Because um, sure. they think just starting with one or two challenges um, is very important so that it's not, Oh, you need to focus on your weight because it's, you have to hear what they want to do, what their end goal is. And obviously it should be health. It shouldn't just be the numbers on the scale. Um, but listening to them because, you know, we have a lot of patients too that, oh, my doctor referred me here. Well, do you want to be here? Because if you don't, then this is Mm -hmm. probably a waste of my time and your time. Um, so really assessing like, and finding out if they're ready, but I, I, I just think, giving a challenge well what would make you feel better what do you think in your mind would help
0: sure yeah so uh, again kind of the um uh what is that called the the active interview techniques those kinds of things motivational Motivational interview interview. thank you yeah um okay yeah so kind of putting it back on them Mm -hmm. and yeah i like that um and
1: also just um saying um i forget where i was going with that but yeah um what, Not only what would would make you feel better, but do you feel good where you're at? Okay. And most of them will then take that, well, no. I like that question. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily bring up the weight, but it does sure. help them to evaluate.
2: In addition to just, like, weight or how you feel, uh, like, in terms of joint pain or anything like that, uh, do you ever see reversals in, like how much medication a patient is on or do you see even total reversals of like a chronic illness such as like a diabetes or something like that
1: total reversal Uh, is a strong term okay (laughs) um (laughs) Absolutely. We see patients come off of medications all the time and it is such a victory whether they're surgical or non-surgical. It's so exciting. And they're like, I got off one medication. I can't wait to get off this one. Uh And and now I'm willing to take more steps to do it because it's great to just not be on my blood pressure medication or not take anything for cholesterol or diabetes medications decreased. And now my next step, I want to get off. So that's more of a motivating factor when people start seeing those things. And they can see that after just a five to 10% reduction of their body weight. Um, as far as bariatric surgery, um, yes, that is known for, quote, unquote, to cure diabetes in some ways. But um, as soon as, you know, if they would gain their weight back, their diabetes would come back. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's sure it's in remission. Yeah. Um, and you could say it's gone if you maintain your weight loss. Yeah. But if you go back to old habits and that weight comes back, diabetes more likely will as well. Okay. Yeah. Cool.
0: Um, Speaking to diabetes, uh, you know, there are multiple TED Talks and and different things out there regarding the the concept of a high-fat diet to uh, either reduce the impact of diabetes or, you know, quote-unquote cure diabetes. Um, What are your thoughts on kind of that high-fat diet as a model? Uh, for diabetes treatment as opposed to medication
1: well I think any diet that focuses more on another macronutrient aside from carbohydrates whether it's high protein high fat um, it helps definitely because diets are primarily carb based for the majority of people and carbs are what contribute to diabetes Um, and carbs are the one, the thing that's most readily available and easy to have. So when it comes to higher fat diets, the fat then replaces a lot of the carbs in the diet. So that helps to control it. Um, I do feel too, sure that could, that will control diabetes by replacing your carbs with fat and more lean proteins and, and, um, provide more satiety too. Um, but if you don't maintain that again, sure. Will the diabetes come back? Likely. Uh, so Yeah. I don't know if you can say cure, but Mm -hmm. it does help. Absolutely.
0: Okay, (laughs) good. As long as you're eating the appropriate fats. Yes, um, the appropriate
1: fats. That's a very good clarification there. You can't just go and have...
0: Can you give some examples of some appropriate fats versus inappropriate?
1: Healthy fats found in nuts, um, your oils, um, healthy plant-based oils, um, fish. um, You know, you just want to be cautious with your saturated fats, um, not doing too heavy on those. Some are fine. Um, but yeah, a lot of your nuts, legumes, um, fish, fish oils, that kind of stuff. They're good, healthy oils. Um, and I think sometimes too, people think, oh, these are good and healthy. And so they are eating nuts all day long. They are very calorically dense though. So people Mm -hmm. that are struggling with their weight also have to be careful with even these healthy fats because, It's easy to have a 1,000 calories of nuts like that Mm -hmm. just because they are calorically dense. So fats are good. Fats are healthy. You don't want to be scared of them, but portion control is very, very important.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure. So I always hear, you know, handful of nuts, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to, you know, Mm -hmm. a bag of nuts. Yeah,
1: and nut butters, for instance, you know, the little snack Mm -hmm. nut butters and and those types of things. It's like, okay, that's great, but I heard it's a good source of protein. Mm -hmm. Yes, but there are better sources of protein that won't give you 300 calories at a snack mm-hmm. um, so I think that education is important too to be cautious with your labels because there's a lot of uh, misconceptions on this is a healthy food well sure but look at the whole part look at this portion be ca- cautious with um, what you're pairing things with And
2: so again it's uh, comes down, down to uh, real food right? so if you yes. get some real source <laughs> yes, of fat exactly. right. those two Uh, Exactly, the process.
1: stuff,
0: yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the studies that I reference a lot with my patients and I've just always found very interesting was they looked at uh, people who were obese and had knee pain. And what they found was a 5% reduction in body weight Uh, correlated with a 30% reduction in knee pain outside of any other interventions. And then a 10% reduction in body weight was a 50% reduction in pain. Um, And it's one of those things that sounds really great and patients are like, oh, that sounds fantastic. I can cut my pain in half. Wonderful. But then it's like, okay, you know, how how do I make that happen? So, you know, as a PT, you know, I know these things. And, you know, would you say it should then be my job to refer to someone um, like, you know, their primary care physician to then refer them to you, or, you know, are there things that I can do on my own to kind of start that process? Which do you think would be more effective?
1: I think definitely if they are motivated and are interested in change and you see that in them and they're saying, yes, I'd love to lose weight, that's when, yes, refer them to their primary care to um come and see us because we can definitely work with them on either avenue um but as far as you guys as um professionals as well you can just challenge them and okay let's move more you know with within their limits or or just say well um What's one thing that you think you could start doing and and see what they say. I think you guys have a good knowledge base as well and and can just challenge them in one or two of those things. Again, it's like start with a challenge, start with a a small goal or two and go from there. One of
2: our sayings on a daily basis is movement is medicine. Mm -hmm. You get people moving and all of a sudden things, good things start happening.
1: Yeah. Another thing I think that, you know, I encourage people to do from the start is just start logging your intake. There's so many apps out there. One of my favorites to encourage people to use is MyFitnessPal, mm-hmm. just to see what you're eating. A lot yeah. of people are so oblivious to what it they're putting on a daily basis. And that awareness, There are so many times I hear people say, oh, I started, but then I stopped because I saw how bad it was. Sure. Well, that's the point, you know, yeah. have that awareness and then encourage yourself to start making some smaller changes. Don't be upset about it, um, but take that as a motivating factor of, okay, I want to make this better. Nine times out of 10, people who start logging their intake, even though they feel like, oh, I haven't made too many changes yet. They've lost five to 10 pounds in a month just because Mm -hmm. they're being more aware Mm -hmm. and just because they're paying attention to what they're eating. And not all calories are created equal. We're not just looking at the calorie intake of the day. We're looking at where your calories coming from and are you getting a balanced diet? And I think that mindfulness and personal awareness is something that a lot of people just have never done and never looked at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Then when it's staring you in the face, Mm -hmm. looking right back at you, it's like, oh, so no, that's great. I love it. Um, You know, there are so many just facts and figures and numbers and research on, uh, you know, kind of the, the medical side of Uh, this obesity issue, one of the more staggering numbers that I came across was, you know, nationally, the medical spending uh, in 2016 was about $150 billion. Um, And so, you know, that's not even factoring in some of the indirect costs, um, such as, you know, lost work productivity, um, you know, from, from missed days because of being sick. So you know this is money we could be using for you know funding public education or you know securing entitlement programs infrastructure you know any of those things that are you know hot button political topics do you have any recommendations on how you know just average people can get out there and and really work to make policy shifts or, or more large scale change um, to to really kind of reverse some of these trends that we're seeing you know or, or You know, I know that's kind of a loaded question. I'm not trying to make it all political here. But, you know, is there anything that just average people can do?
1: I wish there was an easy way that we could could really make an impact. And I think sometimes it seems like, oh, I'm just one person or how am I going to do that? But I I also think it's important to just portray the change that you're trying to make and be the change that you want to see and um, starting small with being an example being an example of um, just to your kids or to people around you, to your friends, to your family, and buying local, eating real food, and and um, influencing from a small scale um, something something that simple. I, I cringe when people that are trying to make changes for themselves, they're doing a great job, but they say, oh, well now every time I go to McDonald's with my kids, I don't get anything. I'm like, but what about these Two to four or five kids that you have that you could be impacting and influencing, um, but yet now this is still what they know.
0: Um, sure.
1: So starting small, even just around who, who you're raising or who you're who you're with, um, and I love when I see families that are, oh, I got my parents doing this, I got my grandparents doing this. We're not eating out. We're buying local. We're buying real foods. We're cooking more. We're doing this together. Um, those little things can. Slowly
2: back to difference. that community
1: again.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um so just you know, one one of the final questions I wanted to, to ask was, you know, I know when I was young and stupid and, you know, thought I knew everything you know, I was in the misconception that, you know, oh, people who are obese, they're just lazy, they just don't care, you know, whatever. And, and I've learned that that's a huge misconception. Yes. Um, you know, that's, a, a, you know, a really a stigma that is not true. Um, what are some of the other, you know, kind of negative stigmas or, or misconceptions that you see or you have to fight back against, uh, you know, whether it be from people who, you know, are around people who are obese or even some of the people that you work with, um, you know, things that you're just really trying to say, no, no,
1: that is not true. That mm-hmm. um, it's easy, because it's not. Okay. Um, you know, any change, which we've mentioned many times, is very difficult. Um, I think looking at the history of how they got there, what they knew, how they were raised, I think that's very important to know um, and think about. And, and just we all have different life stories and what we've been through. Um, the battles that we've fought, stress, emotional, um, trauma, whatever it might be, um, they didn't just, it didn't just happen overnight. And I think um, coming from that perspective or thinking about their perspective of things because we really don't know anything about those people that may, there may be these preconceived judgments about um, but yeah, a lot of people try again and again and again to lose weight and they might be successful but it comes back. And, and what do you do with that? It's, you just need to say, hey, okay, so what worked? What didn't work? What was the barrier? And when did it start coming back and what, what can we do about planning for the weight gain next time? There's lots of discussions, whether it's post-op patients or um, just medical weight management, we talk about let's prepare for weight gain. Let's have a plan in place. What are we going to do when these stressful things happen again? And, um,
0: yeah, I like that. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought to kind of be preemptive about the weight gain. So, that yeah, that's definitely I mean, something I never would have thought covering of. Covering so. from all angles. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Well, Shauna, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us this thank morning. You. Yes, this was thank you really, for really, educating us really here today. Yeah, thank you so much know, for having me. Yeah, I know I have a lot more to think about with uh, some of my patients, so I really, really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of More Than Medicine. For more information about this podcast, who we are, and what we do, please visit Justin's website, refinemove.com, and click the More Than Medicine tab. Once again, that's refinemove.com. Thanks for listening.